Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The lesson for today is from Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. God is rich in mercy. God brought us to life with Christ while we were dead. As a result of those things that we did wrong, God did this because of the great love that God has for us. You are saved by God's grace, and God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Jesus Christ. God did this to show future generations the greatness of God's grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. The salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way we live our lives. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Luke's Gospel. But I say to you who are willing to hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other one as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt as well. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand your things back from those who take them. Treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you could do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. There are a great many gems of wisdom lacing the works of Wendell Berry. Several are tacked up in my study. If the devil doesn't exist, how do you explain that some people are a lot worse than they're smart enough to be? (laughs) And perhaps all the good that has ever come to this place has come because people prayed it here. And this one, for preachers. Some of the best things I have ever thought of, I have thought of during bad sermons. (laughs) In Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, Jaber is a barber in the fictional town of Port William, Kentucky, and into his barbershop parade an astounding array of people coming for a haircut or a shave, and Jaber interacts with each and every one of them. But of all his customers, he struggles the most to get along with Troy Chatham. Troy is a greedy farmer and businessman, Jaybear believes, who's working to destroy the land in their county. And to make matters much worse, Troy has successfully courted and married Maddie, the woman whom Jaybear has secretly admired for years. 
The scene is the late 1960s and divisions in America over race and civil rights and the Vietnam War have risen greatly and spilled over into Port William. Troy is a fierce backer of the government's policies, including the war in Vietnam. One evening in the barbershop, Troy starts talking about how much he hates the war protesters. They ought to round up every one of them people and put him right in front of the communists. And, well, whoever killed whom, well, it would be all to the good. There was a little pause after that. Nobody in the shop wanted to try to top that. It was hard to do, Jaber says, but I quit cutting hair and looked at Troy and said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you. Troy jerked his head around and asked, where'd you get that from? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jaber said. And Troy said, oh. And Jaber then admits it would have been a great moment in the history of Christianity except that I did not love Troy. <laughs> in the final chapter of her book, Twelve Steps to a Compassionate Life, Karen Armstrong observes that for human society to work well and for life to live on in endless possibility, we must find ways to yield to one another or to love one another, including those with whom we differ, despise, or disdain. On that evening in the barber shop, there was scant evidence of anyone yielding to anyone else, including those who might differ from us. There was little movement in the direction of loving one another. Have compassion for everyone you meet, the singer and country folk legend Lucinda Williams seems. For you do not know what wars are going on there, down where the spirit meets the bone. It would, in fact, be fascinating to identify all the commandments that Jesus gives us, all the little maxims, and fashion them into t-shirt slogans or bumper stickers or Facebook quotes. But it would also be pointless, for there is no way that human beings can live up to Christ preaches. Give to those who ask and do not refuse those who wish to borrow from you. We do that and we have enough experience to know that we will be begged and borrowed into poverty. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. We're realistic enough to know that if we obey this command, our enemies will crush us. There is little chance we can live out Christ's commands unless there is a radically different way of understanding life. And Jesus offers us that direction. It begins like this. Notice how the lilies in the fields grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed like one of these lilies. Jesus isn't idealizing nature or trying to throw us off, but rather to point us in the direction of seeing that God's holy processes and divine energy, that God's creative spirit is at work in the world. 
God's amazing way to us begins with creation of astounding beauty. When we experience the wonder of how God works among us and creates this world in the life that we live, we are nudged in the direction of faith and gratitude and compassion. For it is, and it begins with the power of creation and its twin force of resurrection that can spring the possibilities of grace, of forgiveness, of reconciliation. Jesus' commandments aren't unreachable ethical demands. They're instead the fruit of growing our lives and grounding our lives in the one who is at the very source of the littlest creation. And by extension, the source of all the glories of creation that surround us, that we did nothing to generate. The great lakes and the mighty rivers, the seas and the rocky mountains, the planets, and the stars of the Milky Way. And so it is that Paul, writing in Ephesians, tells us that you are saved by God's grace. There is nothing you did to create it or deserve it. This is God's gift to you. It is not something you did. When we discover that life itself is a gift we can receive the compassion that makes it possible to live as best we can. The seemingly impossible commandments that Jesus offers. Armstrong offers, urges, pleads for us to yield to our foes so that human society may flourish. Jesus says we're to love our enemies and pray for them. He urges us toward a love that's not any emotional sense, but Love in the sense of willing the good of all people. Loving in the sense which is the healthy way in which we love ourselves. It's a stiff challenge to fight off the urge to retaliate, to get even or to keep score. Yet Jesus implores us to go beyond what is ordinary and to do what God would do. Offer grace, practice exception. Be compassionate. African Americans love white supremacists. A survivor of the 9-11 attacks love an Al-Qaeda operative. The mother of an abused child loving the abuser. When you see clearly who your enemies are, then you see clearly your enemies. Jesus' examples of an enemy capable of love really begin from outside us and then bend us in the arc of the gospel. He presses us outward in action toward the hostile ones around us. And he gives even stiffer challenges. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If one slaps you on the cheek, offer the other as well. Give to everyone who asks and don't demand things in return. It's a stiff challenge. And it's by most forms of reckoning easier to love enemies in the abstract than to love the people we deal with on a day-to-day basis. It appears to be true just as much of enemies who intend to harm us as it is with foes with whom we simply disagree It's in these flesh and blood relationships with all the 
troys of our lives that we learn the habits of dealing with our enemies. And such an education is needed if we're to make the commitments that are more than just rhetoric. James chides us, everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. Be ready to listen, slow to speak, and then we can see God's creative powers at work in us and in the world. Now James doesn't suggest that we give up our judgment and our critical thinking, but insists that we listen carefully to the convictions and judgments of others, including our enemies. Such listening may cause us, it may cause our opponents to change our convictions. But once the terrorism has emerged and the war has broken out, it's more difficult to live by James' injunction to be slow to anger. Yet perhaps it's all the more important. It does not say that we're never to be angry, but that we be careful of the destructive potential of anger. For anger can be a window into the soul, an experience that prompts imagination and a kind of prophetic indignation. But it can also destroy the core of our being and undermine all our human relationships. There are so many lessons to be learned, and Jesus sets this in front of us on this day and offers us the way of compassion, a technology that shapes us in untold ways. We profit ourselves by immersing ourselves in the practices of loving enemies in day-to-day matters. And if churches are to be schools for learning love for strangers, friends, and enemies, it may be possible to fashion both great and small moments in the history of Christianity. And we may even learn to love Troy. In the overheated environment of today, in which we're surrounded by every imaginable and real enemy, Jesus' injunction to just love our enemies stands out as a distinctively Christian posture. And it's as paradoxical and radical now as it was when Jesus first employed his first followers to reject the ancient law of reciprocity, to fight the urge to settle with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and to lean toward the radical grace of God, which finds itself in the heart of our lives and shapes us by the ethic of compassion and love. It is a story that sounds far-fetched, but it's a true story of a man named Larry Trapp. Larry grew up in Nebraska, the son of a man who liked harassing black people for sport. Larry's father taught him the lessons of disdain and how to be suspicious of different people, the other, Jews. His father taught him how to harass, to be menacing, how to make others afraid. And Larry learned to admire the icons of racialized hatred. Posters of Adolf Hitler adorned the walls of his apartment. He became the Grand Dragon of the KKK and the head of the American Nazi Party in Nebraska. His days were filled with 
making harassing phone calls and sending obnoxious mail to people of color. Michael and Judy Weiser moved to Lincoln with their family for a quiet life. Michael was to be the cantor and spiritual leader of the South Street Temple, the oldest Jewish synagogue in town. One Sunday, just after they moved into their new house, the phone rang, and it was Larry Trapp. The man on the other end of the line called Rabbi Weiser a Jew boy and told him that he would be sorry that he'd ever moved to Lincoln. Two days later, a small, thick package of racist propaganda arrived in the mail and an unsigned card that read, The KKK is watching you. Michael and Judy were, of course, deeply disturbed by Larry's harassment, but their faith in God and grounding in the stories of faith guided them, not their fear of someone who had so clearly positioned them as enemy. After the harassment went on for a while, Michael decided to start calling Larry back himself, instead of meeting his hostility with more hostility. Michael started leaving kind messages on Larry's voicemail. After several friendly messages, Larry picked up the phone the next time Michael called and said, stop calling me. I'm angry. I want these calls to stop. But before he could hang up, Michael said, you know, I I know you're disabled. Could you use a ride to the grocery store? (laughs) Mr. Trapp was nearly blind and confined to a wheelchair. He'd lost both his legs to diabetes. No thanks, but thanks for asking. Several weeks later, Larry called Michael and asked, could we talk? Would you be willing to talk with me, someone who has treated you with hostility and hatred? The Weisers said they'd be right over. After four hours of truth-telling about his hate-filled life, his past harassment, and his loneliness, Larry took off his swastika rings and handed them to Michael Weiser. From there, they built a friendship. Larry converted to Judaism and officially apologized to the Jewish and black communities in Lincoln and sought out other ways to encourage others who were in the grip of racism to find the freedom of letting go of hatred and fear and to love his enemies. And when Larry's life was ending, the Weisers invited them, him into his home and cared for him in his last days. When Larry died, Michael was the cantor at his funeral. Larry died an enemy transformed by love because someone was courageous enough to respond out of the deep compassion that flows to us out of the heart of a God who has loved each and every one of us and made space for us in this place, in this kingdom, and around this table of blessing. Thanks be to God, for this is the God that we love and worship. Amen. Holy God, source of all being, you are greater by far than our human thoughts can possibly comprehend. With all that you have created, you abide, weeping with us in grief and pain, rejoicing with us in life and love. You are everywhere in this very moment, holding the entirety of living experience and weaving us together in the great and intricate tapestry of creation. Creator, God, Mother, and Father of us all, in your holy love, you took on our limitations, 
born of a body, bound within a body, you know the whole of this human experience. Learning to communicate with words, teaching us to communicate with presence. Learning the fears that wring us dry, teaching us of the love that nurtures us back to life. Everlasting God, you are everywhere and right here. As close as the air we breathe, the air which binds us to one another and all your creation. Be so close to those who are enduring flood, fire, earthquake, and famine. Those whose material possessions have floated away or been strewn about over the landscape of their community. And every soul who is fleeing for their lives as refugees. May all those who are suffering in those ways that we can see And all those who are suffering with a broken heart or spirit or tortured in their mind, may they too know every real and tangible sign that you are with them and for them, that life will be abundant once again and soon. We pray for our enemies, and we pray that we might come to love them. Let the food that is brought forward in this service nourish those in need, reminding us that even as we come here to be fed by you, we are called to feed others. Be close to us in this meal that through the Holy Spirit's presence, this would be a gift of God for us, that at this table, we would know you in a holy and profound way. May we who receive these gifts live lives of justice and love and be a voice for those who are not heard. Stir within our hearts as we pray the prayer Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.